Uh, any golfers here at our four campuses? Now, you golfers, you know what a mulligan is, right? But uh, for the sake of people who, who don't know, a, a mulligan is uh, when you're playing golf with a group of friends and you hit a bad shot. So off the tee, your ball kind of dribbles about 20 feet or it lands in the woods or drops into a pond. You turn to your friends and you say, hey, can I have a mulligan? It means a do-over. Second chance, you get to put down another ball, no penalty stroke, and hit it and play it. Now, of course, you can't do this in tournament play, but it's an extension of grace among friends. If you're a mom or a dad, if you're a parent here today, in the midst of your child raising, wouldn't you love a mulligan occasionally? You know, an opportunity with your kids, well, I blew that one. Maybe if God would give me a second chance, you know, to to get it right. Wouldn't you love that as as a parent? I think back to an experience in my parenting career when I could have used a mulligan. This is uh, somewhat embarrassing to me. It's embarrassing to my son, Andrew, too, which is why I asked him for permission to tell this story. Uh, But back when he was 15, 16 years old, he was out with a bud one night. They were cruising the neighborhood, and they saw someone had left an old TV set at the end of their driveway for the garbage men to pick up. Well, Andrew and his buddy, they came up with a more creative idea what to do with the TV. So they lugged it over to the local high school, a couple of blocks away, and they trudged up the stairs of the the, the bleachers in the darkened football field, and then they pushed the TV off the top and watched it shatter into a bazillion pieces at at the bottom. Now, some of you are wondering, how how do I know all this? Like, was somebody a narc in this situation? Did someone call me and say, you know what your son just did? No, actually, Andrew told me. This is the weird part of the whole story. Andrew comes home with his buddy, and Dad, you would not believe what we just did, and they in vivid description, told the whole story. Goofy grins on their faces. And they finish, and Andrew looks at me, and he says, Dad, it was so cool. You should have seen it. This is where I needed a mulligan. This is the embarrassing part for me, because all I did on that occasion is, you know, I kind of shook my head. I looked at him, and, and I said, wow. No, that was it. That's all. That's all. I just said, Wow. I I didn't question him as why he had done something so brainless. I didn't reprimand him for creating a mess that somebody else had to go and and pick up. I didn't order him, now you get in the car and you go back to the high school with your buddy, you take a trash can and a broom and don't come home until it's picked up. I didn't do any of that. I looked at my son and I said, wow. Why? Why did I freeze up? Why didn't I take Andrew to task on that occasion? Well, because I lacked in that moment a parenting quality that we're going to talk about today. I lack courage, specifically the courage to discipline. The courage to discipline. I was afraid. I I was afraid in that moment that if, if I told my son it was not cool to push a TV set off the top of bleachers, he would think, I'm not cool. And what dad of a teenage son wants him thinking that he's not cool? Welcome to the third and final uh, message in our series, Parenting Not for Cowards. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 is at the end of the New Testament. And while you're doing that, let me just remind you of what this series has covered so far. So week one, Jim and I taught about the courage to set goals. Wise parents are intentional when it comes to the growth of their children intellectually and physically and and spiritually and socially. And last week, we heard from Pastor Eric on the courage to say no, 
So how's the homework going in these areas, parents, moms and dads? Are you thinking through uh, goals for your kids and then healthy boundaries for them? Today, week three, we want to talk about the courage to discipline. The courage to discipline. Now, let me just give you some background on Hebrews chapter 12. The New Testament book of Hebrews is written to a group of Christ followers who are in a context where Christianity is viewed as a cult, a cult that should be stomped out. In fact, many of these Christ followers were facing persecution, and they had come from a Jewish background, and they were really tempted to go back to Judaism. Well, why would that be? Because though it was a minority religion, Judaism was a legitimate uh, state-acknowledged religion, whereas Christianity was not. So Jews were tolerated, but Christ followers were persecuted. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging these Christ followers to endure the face of persecution, to keep on, to not give up. He says, in fact, that persecution or any adversity that we go through is a form of God's discipline in our lives. And discipline is a good thing, he says. It keeps us on the right path. It trains us to walk in obedience to God. So there are five aspects of discipline that we're pulling out of today's text. Five aspects of God's discipline in our lives that should also be true of parents' discipline of their children. And the first one is authority. Authority. So it's a great time to take out your pen and, and write down these five aspects. Now, I want to read the opening verse of today's text, Hebrews 12, verse 5. Read it, uh, follow along as I read verse 5. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline. God expects us to take him seriously, right? Moms and dads, we should expect our children to take us seriously. Do your kids take you seriously? I want us to jump ahead in our passage for just a minute. Drop down to verse 9. Verse 9 says, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirit's and live. You see those two verses, respected and submit. You may want to circle those in your Bible. Respected and submit. The writer of Hebrews says that good children respect their parents' authority, even as we are to submit to God's authority in our lives. In other words, moms and dads, we need to explain to our kids that our authority has been given to us by God. And when they respect our authority, they are respecting God's authority. When they blow off our authority, they are blowing off God's authority. Have you ever watched that power struggle between a young mom and her preschooler at the grocery store? You know what I'm talking about? And she is in the aisle where there's a bag of marshmallows, and she says, Son, put the bag of marshmallows back. We're not going to buy that today. And you're just trying to keep, you know, mind your own business, but you're curious to see what's going to happen with this little power struggle. And he looks her in the eye, and he does one of these defiant, rip it open, take out a marshmallow, pop it in his mouth. Ooh, game on. 
So what's going to happen in this battle of wills? Mom had better win because there's a lot at stake. You see, if that mom fails to demand respect for her authority, she is teaching her son that it's okay to not respect God's authority in his life. In fact, she's training him to disregard authority in the future, whether it be teachers or coaches, bosses, police officers, what have you. Moms and dads, what are you teaching your kids about authority? Are you insisting on their respect for your authority? Let me give you a footnote to this point. Uh, One of the ways that I've observed parents undermining their kids' respect for their authority is when mom and dad don't back each other, uh, back each other up as they're disciplining their children. So m- many parents get caught in the uh, good cop, bad cop game. You know what I'm saying? So one of them always ends up being the disciplinarian. He or she is the bad cop. And the other one gets to be the advocate for the kids, gets to be the defense attorney for the kids, always the good cop. And, and I want to say to you that that is not a helpful scenario. And your kids are expert at exploiting that sort of attention between mom and dad. I know when I was growing up, especially when I hit my teen years, I was really good at playing mom and dad off each other. Uh, I can remember when I was in high school, I didn't have a car of my own, but that was fine with me because dad let me borrow his 69 T-Bird, a really hot car to take on a date. But I had this chronic problem with lateness. I never made it home at curfew. And so I would wander in a few minutes late and dad would be there to greet me and he would say, give me the keys. You just lost the car for a month. Now, I had an ace up my sleeve. Mom. Mom was my ace. See, I would go moping around mom until finally she said, Honey, what's wrong? Dad. He took away the car. I was 15 15 minutes, 14 of those minutes I was late. We're at the gas station filling his gas tank with gas. But he took the car, took it away. You know, it would just play upon her maternal sympathies. And so she would utter the words I longed to hear. She would say, let me talk to your dad about this. And she would go to bat for me, and inevitably my driving privileges would be restored. As a teenager, I was pretty good at this game. But when I became a parent myself and my kids entered adolescence, I hated this game. You know, Sue and I had to have many private discussions Many (laughs) private discussions about the importance of backing each other up with regard to disciplining our children. You know, if if Sue gave the kids an order, they better not look over and see me kind of rolling my eyes at, oh, the ridiculous, ridiculous nature of your mom's directives. They best see me nodding my head in agreement with their mom. And if I disciplined my kids and they came to complain to her, they better hear from her, you heard what your dad said, you're grounded for three and a half years, you know? <laughs> Backing each other up. Seriously, it is okay for parents to debate how best to discipline their children in private. In private. I mean, there were times when Sue told me in private, you need to lighten up. And there were times when I told Sue in private, you got to stop trying to rescue the kids from me. But those were not discussions we had in front of the inmates. (laughs) Moms and dads, if you want your kids to respect your parental authority, back each other up. You get it? Good. 
Number two, here's a second aspect of courageous discipline, love. And this is a good balance to the one we've just been talking about. So go back to the text. We picked it up at verse 5. Let's move on to verse 6. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Oh, let me read that line again. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what? Children are not disciplined by their father. If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. Wow. You hear what the writer of Hebrews is saying here? If you're truly God's child, then he's occasionally going to discipline you because that's what loving, that, listen, that is what loving fathers do. So parents, do you love your kids? Now before you say an automatic well, of course, to that, let me give you the litmus test that wise old King Solomon gives us in the book of Proverbs. This is Proverbs 13, verse 24. Solomon says, whoever spares the rod hates their children. You withhold discipline from your kids, it must be because you hate them. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Sometimes we mistakenly convince ourselves that we're showing love to our kids by withholding discipline. Because we're such kind, gracious, patient, easygoing, forgiving parents, we're not going to punish them for this latest misbehavior. There's going to be no spanking, no extra chores, no loss of TV privileges, no you can't go to the party, no grounding, because we're all about love. No, you're not. Solomon says, no, you're not. You're kidding yourself. Because if you loved your kids, you'd discipline them, you'd correct this misbehavior before it becomes a pattern that's hurtful down the road. And let me tell you what I've diagnosed about myself on those occasions when I've neglected to discipline my kids and I've passed it off as an act of love on my part. You know, the reason I'm not, I'm not disciplining is because I'm a loving dad. Now, the truth of the matter is I'm, I'm letting them off because there's something else I love. What else do I love in that moment? Let me suggest three possibilities that have occurred to me. Uh, I may be letting them off, first of all, because I love to be liked. That's what I love. <laughs> like my opening illustration with my son, I wanted him to think I was cool with the, you know, smashing the TV set. I, I, want, I wanted to be liked by him and his bud. Or here's a second possibility. I'm, I'm letting them off, not because I love them, but because I love peace. And the fact of the matter is, discipline stirs up conflict. I mean, it's rarely well-received by, by our kids, certainly not initially. So I know when I step into discipline, I know it's going to engender a difficult conversation. There are going to be some angry words exchanged, a few tears, a slam door or two, an accusing, nobody else's dad does what you do. I could live without that. I don't need that drama in my life. And so the easiest way to avoid it is what? Just don't discipline. Just don't do anything. I love peace. Here's a third possibility. I'm letting them off because I love not, not, not them. It's because I love my leisure. You know, I, I don't know why this was, but oftentimes as my kids were growing up and there was an occasion to discipline them. Somehow it seems like it always happened as I was sitting down watching a ball game or reading the newspaper. 
And, and Sue had called to me from the kitchen, Jim, your daughter needs you to speak to her. And I'd be like, really? Like now? Two minutes left in the fourth quarter of the Bears game and I got I to gotta talk to her now? Like can't we just let her go this time? And it wasn't just that, you know, my leisure that I, I was against the timing of the discipline, you know, my leisure caused me to reject the effort that the discipline required as well. You know, there's creative effort that's required to come up with a, a punishment suitable to the crime. There is a, there's a supervisory effort that's required if I'm going to give them some extra chores to do or what. Now I got to check up on them with whatever discipline I gave them. There's emotional energy that has to be spent because I got, got to get them to the place where they're willing to say sorry to the person they need to say sorry to. I mean, this is, this is work. And I love chilling. <laughs> I love leisure. So when we fail to discipline our kids, it's not because we love them. It's because we love ourselves, right? Ouch, that truth hurts. Loving parents discipline their children. Now, there's qualification to this truth that's important to mention here. Love should not only be the motivation for why we discipline them, but it ought to be the manner in which we discipline. Love is both motivation and manner. Now, let me illustrate what I mean by this with a negative example from our lives. Actually, it's Jim's life, but... <laughs> He gave me permission to share this. So, In fact, this has become one of our oft-repeated family classics. So when our daughter was reaching middle school age, she developed an attitude. Been there? You know, you know that oh, sigh and that rolling of the eyes. Oh, just a lot of that every day. And as we saw seventh grade approaching, we made a choice. We decided to take her from the public school and put her in a private Christian school. Well, this required a 20-minute drive one way in the morning. And Jim was willing to do that, and I picked her up in the afternoon. Well, one particular morning, our daughter's attitude was, you know, exceptionally foul. And halfway to school, Jim had finally had enough. He pulls the cart over to the side of the road and he said, that's it, get out, get out. And our daughter quizzed him and he made quite clear she was to vacate the premises. She was aghast and she looked at her dad like, what happened? I mean, for one thing, this is a four-lane highway, okay? <laughs> it's not in a great neighborhood. It's not even near home or school. You know, what is she supposed to do? And of course then she begins to apologize. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Eventually Jim did drive her to school. But the point is this, it's an effective way to discipline, but it really was not very loving, was it? Now fortunately, at least we don't think so, she was not permanently scarred for life. In fact, she's the one that brings it up and says, remember the time you told me to get out of the car and we have a good laugh about that. Moms and dads, make sure when it's time to discipline your child, it's with not only that motivation, but the manner of love. That is not going to be your natural instinct. You are going to need to stop in that second and pray and say, God, I need your love. I need your grace. I need your patience. I need your wisdom. And if you're not a praying mom or dad, you know what? That's a good place to start. Have you opened up your heart to Christ so that you have access to God through prayer? 
That's the first thing you want to do. You need God's love. We need to cry out for that love. So we have talked about authority. We have talked about love. The third aspect to courageous discipline is rules, is rules. Now, most Christian books on parenting talk about the importance of not just external behavior, but going for the heart when we are disciplining our children. We want to ask the question, what is behind that misbehavior? What's going on in their heart? And that is where, of course, we need God's help. Only the Holy Spirit of God can transform a heart. That's why Jim and I taught when we were talking about setting goals in the spiritual category. First and foremost, you want to lead your children to know that they need Jesus on the inside. They need to open up their hearts and surrender to Christ. And again, that is something you want to do and model to them. And then God on the inside can make some changes as they grow. So, yes, we want to go after the heart and the intention and the, mis the behavior um, the, uh, be, what's behind their misbehavior. But that doesn't negate their need for some clearly spelled out rules and expectations. Now, you may not like that word rules. It does sound a little bit legalistic and cut and dry. So you may want to call them standards or family values that we have. But the point is, if we have clearly spelled out rules, then we can clearly discipline on the basis of that. Discipline assumes that some rules have been broken, right? Now go back with me to Hebrews chapter 12 and look at verse 10. We are told in the opening line of this verse that our parents disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. They disciplined as they thought best. Well, where do moms and dads get that? How do they know to discipline according to what's best? Where do they get those rules? You know, are, are they just misleading, misguiding rules, or where do they get that? Well, the writer of Hebrews in this passage does not answer that question. But the Apostle Paul does in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He clearly helps moms and dads craft wise rules for their kids. Look at this verse. He writes, do not exasperate your children, which is what lame rules will do. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So where are you going to find the training and the instruction of the Lord? You're going to find that in his word, in the Bible. Now, you probably will not find a chapter and a verse that tells your kids they need to make their beds in the mornings, they need to pick up their dirty clothes, they need to feed the dog, they need to get in by curfew. But in general, the principles in the Bible will help you teach your kids that obedience is important, that being responsible and hardworking and diligent are characteristics that God wants in their lives. Disciplining your kids will be a much more straightforward and effective task if you're operating from clearly stated rules, which seem to be biblically wise. So, authority and love and rules that have been informed by Scripture so that they're, they're wise. Number four, fourth aspect of courageous discipline, consequences. Consequences. What, what happens when your kids break the rules? One of the guys in my men's community group, he's a great dad. He's raising two wonderful girls, 
And he told me a story some time ago about some defiance that he had to address in his daughter's life. She was a, a high school student at the time. And they'd had an argument, and at the end of the argument, she turned tail and she stomped up the stairs and slammed her bedroom door. Now, they had a family rule, no door slamming. Now, as Sue just said, you won't find a chapter and a verse for every rule you come up with, but there are biblical principles. You could find a biblical principle about dealing with anger, and door slamming would be excluded. So he calls up to his daughter, and he says, honey, don't slam your door. So what do you think his little princess does? She opens the door, and she slams it again. Well, this dad very calmly goes down to the workbench in his basement, grabs a hammer and a screwdriver, comes back upstairs to her bedroom, takes her door off the hinges. She says, where are you going with my door? He said, well, you just lost it for a month, honey. So she stomps toward her bathroom and he says, I wouldn't slam that door. (laughs) When he told me, I said, that should be in every parenting book. I mean, that's just classic. Consequences. See, if our rules are going to have teeth, They must be accompanied by consequences, not just the threat of consequences. Quite frankly, some of us threaten and threaten and threaten and threaten, and and we never do anything. You know, we're out with our kids, and we make threat after threat after threat. And what, what, what you don't know if you're doing that is that everybody in that public space is wanting you to do something. Pull the trigger on it, for goodness sake. So, so when I talk about consequences, I'm talking about real, live, tangible, painful consequences. Here's what's going to happen if you break the rules and it actually happens. Now, this principle pops up repeatedly throughout the, the Hebrews 12 passage that we're looking at today because, this, listen, this is how God disciplines us with consequences. Look at verse 6. We, we read it a little earlier, but the first line of verse 6 says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. might want to circle the word chastens there. It comes from a Greek word which originally meant to whip. Sometimes God gives us a whipping. In, in other words, his discipline hurts. In fact, that's exactly what the opening line of verse 11 says. Look at verse 11, drop down to it. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but, all four campuses, but what? Painful. You didn't say it loudly enough. But painful. Discipline is supposed to hurt. That's that's what makes it memorable. That's what makes it a strong deterrent. Mom and dad, if your child misbehaves and you send her up to to a room and in her room she has access to her video games and to her cell phone and to her iTunes, you haven't disciplined her. You've sent her on a a resort getaway. (laughs) One of those all-inclusive deals. The consequence of breaking the rules should sting a bit. Now, we we can ensure that that happens in one of two ways. The first way is to just let our kids experience the natural consequences of their misconduct. Just let your kids experience the natural consequences of their misconduct. Look at the opening line of verse 7. Verse 7 says, endure hardship as discipline. Another key word of the text, hardship. Sometimes discipline comes in the form of hardship. The writer of Hebrews says, let your kids experience that hardship, especially if it's hardship they brought on themselves. 
What am I saying, parents? I'm saying don't always rescue your children from the negative things that happen to them as a result of bad behavior. Now, if, if, if your toddler picks up his fire truck and chucks it down the basement stairs and it breaks into pieces, don't run out to Toys R Us and get him a new one. You know, he just lost a favorite toy. It's a natural consequence. You see how this works? Your high school daughter calls you up on the phone because for the bazillionth time, you know, she's forgotten her gym clothes and she wants you to run them over again. And you've done that a bazillion. Don't do that. You know, let her sit on the sidelines. Let her flunk PE if that's what it takes. Natural consequences. We, we need to stop rescuing our kids from these. You know, don't do that. If, you're, if your child pushes the dinner plate away and says, oh, I hate that, well, they just miss dinner. You take it away. That's it. D don't replace the bicycle that they forgot to lock up even though you've told them time and time again, lock your bike, lock your bike. Don't stay up to midnight helping them finish the homework that they put off again and again and again and again. Don't pay the deductible of the car insurance that, you know, for the car that they banged up. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. I'm not suggesting you should never act in grace. You know, there are times when you want to extend some grace to your kids, but by and large, they've got to learn through the discipline of natural consequences. So an, another type of consequence besides that natural consequence um, is a punitive consequence. Punitive is a word that comes from the same root as punishment. Now, some modern-day parents are going to object to that word punishment or punitive. It's too negative an approach, they say. But it is a biblical concept. When we look at verse 6 in this passage, the word chastens, the Lord chastens his children. It can be translated as punishes. The Lord punishes his children in love, of course. Now, sometimes there are no natural consequences to our kids' misbehavior. So parents have to get creative and come up with a painful disciplinary outcome, punitive consequences. And I would encourage you moms and dads to be as creative as possible in this regard. I had one dad last night come up after the service and he said, my dad called those unnatural consequences. Mm. But I think he meant the punitive side, where we come up with a wide variety of things that will happen and often fit the crime. Let's say, for example, that you have a child that just has a potty mouth. Maybe they scrub toilets that week as a result. Maybe you have an older brother that mercilessly teases his little sister. That's the week he makes her bed every day and does her chores. Maybe you have a little one that won't share their toys. And those need to get boxed up and put on the top shelf. You get the idea of punitive consequences. And yes, there are times, but only when your children are younger, when a spanking is in order. It is a punitive consequence. Jim and I have taught on this topic before, and we've warned you about two extremes, of course, to avoid with spanking. One would be a misuse or an overuse of spanking that would borderline on child abuse. That would never be acceptable. And one way we tried to avoid that extreme was to have four guidelines around spanking. Number one, you don't ever spank in anger or on impulse. 
Remember that one-second prayer? God, I need to administer this in love, never out of anger. And secondly, it ought to be when they are deliberately defiant. There's a defiance there. It's not just childishness or irresponsibility that they get a spanking, but it's a defiance to your authority. And thirdly, we often would try to use something other than our hand because of that personal association. So we'd often march in the kitchen and get Mr. Spoon, you know, the wooden spoon in the drawer. And it was just something that was a tap on the bottom. But it gave you another second to pray as well. And then fourthly, don't spank after a certain age. You know, third, fourth grade, when, it, when they have not responded in a way that's effective, it's embittering to them, it's exasperating, it's shaming to them, that would not be appropriate when they are that age and older to spank. So at the other extreme, you have uh, parents that say it's barbaric, they should never, ever spank a child. And I would ask us to consider, are we more wise than God's word, than scripture? Proverbs in particular, which is wisdom literature, does talk about spanking. Uh, again, I hearken back to what Jim referred to earlier, Proverbs 13, 24. It says, whoever spares the rod hates their children. When you see defiance, you need to act on that. So there are times for punitive consequences. Number five, the fifth aspect of courageous discipline is purposes. Purposes. There's a big picture purpose that we must keep in mind. Let's go back to Hebrews 12 one last time. We're going to pick it up in the middle of verse 10. And as I read verses 10 to 13, I want you to look for all the purposes that are behind God's discipline of us and our discipline of our children. They disciplined us, our parents, for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Did you note any, any um, positive purposes in these verses? Look at verse 10. Discipline will develop God's character, in particular his holiness, in our children and in our lives. Don't we want that? God's holiness, his character. Verse 11, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Right relationship with God and others peace in those relationships. Who wouldn't want that for their kids? And then uh, verse 12 and 13, discipline heals twisted limbs. In other words, it will correct those areas in which your kids are disabled, so to speak. Do they need some healing with regard to truth-telling or diligence or the use of money? God wants moms and dads to discipline their kids so that their children turn out to be godly in character. That's the purpose. Rich in relationships, protected from evil, fruitful in their accomplishment. Isn't that what we want? They may not feel that's what we want as we're disciplining them, but don't let that stop us. Yeah, as I wrap up and uh, 
illustrate this notion of purposes, accomplishing purposes in our kids' lives through discipline, I just want to invite our worship team uh, onto the platform and on, on the platforms of our other campuses as well, because when I'm done here, we're going to sing a song of worship together. It kind of brings it all home to our lives. We're going to take our gifts, our offerings in just a moment as well. Uh, I began the sermon today by telling you a story about my son trashing a TV set, and I admitted to you that this was a mulligan moment in my life. If I had a do-over, I would have been more courageous with regard to disciplining my son. On that occasion, I failed to discipline. Now, fortunately, there were many other times in Andrew's life when I did discipline him. He would tell you there were many times when I did, and he didn't like it. And the fact of the matter is, I didn't like it either. I mean, it was a very unpleasant thing to do in the moment. However, it accomplished the purposes in Andrew's life that Hebrews 12 is talking about that Sue just outlined for you from this text. Discipline produced a a God-pleasing young man. You know, I want to say as an aside, it doesn't always work that way. There's there's no guarantee because there there are two people in this equation. There's the parent, and if you're a mom, you're a dad, you've got to do what we've been talking about today. You've got to step up. You've got to be the one who brings it in terms of discipline along the outline, uh, the lines of the outline we've given you. But the child has to respond, has to be willing to be trained by it, willing to be shaped by it. And sometimes they rebel against it, and there's nothing you can do about that except pray that God will change their heart. Now, I look at my son, and I'm just so thankful to God that he chose to be shaped by it. And I don't say that to boast. I say it to give hope to those of you who are in the midst of it right now. And you're wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth it? You know, because this is messy. This is unpleasant when i got to be the disciplinarian. And I'm here to tell you, because I'm a little further down the road than some of you in the parenting game, I'm here to tell you it's worth it. It is really, really worth it. You know, I look at, I look at Andrew. Uh, five weeks ago, he got, he got married to this uh, just wonderful Christian young woman. The two of them are both photographers. They have both traveled internationally doing videography and photography for, uh, for missions purposes. And so now in their married life, they've moved into the city, into Chicago. They're setting up a photography business, uh, mostly weddings and family portraits and things of that nature. But they're, they're trying to keep a missions element to it. So a few days ago, Wednesday of this week, here they are just a few weeks into their married life, they had put out word, they had gathered together a group of professional photographers from around the country to lead them on a two-week trip to Kenya where they're going to be serving a Christian hospital providing some promotional materials, taking shots, videos, and still shots of people who've been served by this hospital. Some of the photographers they've pulled together are not Christ followers. Some are, some aren't. And they just hope that this not only serves the hospital, they get this service free of charge, but that through this they're able to influence some of their fellow photographers to come to Christ. I look at that and I say, oh God, I'm so glad at how Andrew's turning out. And then I realize, and discipline played a big part in it. And I want to tell you, it wasn't fun at the time. But I tell you that because I want you to look down the road And say there are purposes that are fulfilled and they're they're not going to be fulfilled any other way. And moms and dads, if you balk at this and you don't do your job, there's not going to be a happy part of the story down the road. 
So, so do what God's called you to do. 